Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. What's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally. Thanks for tuning in to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about the faith of the next generation in our world today. And we are in for a treat. We're joined mm-hmm. by Pastor Jim Gooden. How are you today? Hey, great to be here. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, excited. Doing great. Well, we are thrilled to have you. And if you do not know Pastor Jim and his amazing family, um, before we do that, if you want to check out every Monday, right, Josiah, we have something sure. new for the listener every Monday. Our heart is to help you start your week off strong in your life, yes. in your faith, in your leadership, and right where you're at. We believe that God's going to meet you and minister to you. And so new episodes drop every Monday. Thanks yeah. for subscribing mm-hmm. and sharing this content with others. It's it helps us reach more listeners with the message of young adults today. That's right. And Pastor Jim Gooden is joining us and the listeners today. He is a lead pastor of Real Life Church in Roseville, Minnesota. And he's just be kind of become a friend the last couple of months. And we just love his family and his wife and just been able to do a little bit of life with them. Real life, right? In the real church. And we just want to kick things off for maybe the listener who doesn't know you, Pastor Jim. Could you just share... Just give us a glimpse of like your journey of life and ministry and ultimately the story and how you got to where you are today. I love it. Thanks so much, you guys, for having me on. We love you guys. And Beth and I, we feel the same way about you guys. Love that we're friends and love that we've had the opportunity to do some ministry together. I've been serving here at Real Life Church as lead pastor for six years now. My wife, Beth, uh, we have two uh, adult children. One's a college-age student down at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Logan, and our younger son, Jack. He's doing a gap year right now and figuring out life and direction and calling and all of those exciting things. Uh, One of the things that we love about our family story is we actually serve at the church that we grew up at. Um, It's kind of a crazy story. My wife, Beth, has never attended another church as a regular attender. She's literally been a part of this church her entire life. Uh, Her her dad pastored this church for uh, for 26 years. And then after he retired, uh, Beth and I got married the first weekend in March Her dad retired the last week in March. So a ton of life changes as young adults. And we were trying to figure out life. And I was a a college student at the the same time, just trying to figure out what, what do we do and where do we go? And, you know, at that age, we were, I was 21, Beth was 20. Who are we? And what are we trying to, who are we trying to become? Um, And the pastors that actually tonight at our first Wednesday service, Pastor Pete and Diane Drake, they they succeeded Beth's dad as pastor here. They took us under their wings. They mentored us. They shaped us and uh, allowed us to serve. I've actually been on staff here at Real Life for 22 years. I I jumped in right after graduating from college and uh, was a creative arts, you know, worship pastor, creative arts pastor, young adults pastor full-time here as executive pastor and now they've i've uh, been serving in lead, as lead pastor for six years now we love it we live in we live in brooklyn center we've always been a part of the twin cities roseville has kind of been the hub of our lives and so born and raised in minnesota and we we love it so we love that we get to do what we do it's a it's a it's a real privilege Seriously. And we were just with you guys not too long ago and talked about a life-giving church. Mm -hmm. I just, we love your church. We love the people of your church. And I love even the emphasis that 
you've really modeled and paved a way for the next generation. And mm-hmm. you're, oh yeah, you're talking about on first Wednesdays at, at first Wednesdays and just on Sunday services about things like generation Z and the mm-hmm. faith of the next generation. And I'd love for people to hear some of the DNA of your church at real life. And also some of your heartbeat as a pastor. And I think it happens to be a Wednesday. You have first Wednesday tonight. So I would imagine that that is at the forefront of your mind, even doing a podcast like this, but can you talk about this first Wednesday service and really the heartbeat or the vision behind bringing everyone together for a time like this each month. Yeah, it's a, so first Wednesdays, there's a, there's a number of churches that do first Wednesday services. And we always kind of saw that it was always a, oh, that's a great idea. Having everybody in the room for a, a time for, for worship and prayer and altar ministry. And it was all for us, it was always kind of a, it's an, it's an out there thing. Like, Oh, wouldn't that be great? And we kind of left it. Um, Last year, my wife and I, we were gifted a sabbatical. So we had a four month sabbatical from from ministry the entire summer, May, May through August. And so it was just a time of refreshing and, you know, not being in day to day, you know, ministry preaching on Sundays. We were, you know, exploring different churches, visiting friends. We, you know, we love that we have so many pastor friends, but we never get to be a part of what they're doing in a church because oftentimes when we would go visit, they're gone too. So uh, it was, that was a really great time, but we were, uh, we were away. We were gifted a week uh, at a resort, like a super bougie resort down in Sanibel, Florida. We were down in Florida for a week, the week we happened to be having VBS here at church. And so we did all the right things with sabbatical. We took social media off our phone. You know, we really disconnected. Um, but for some reason, I, I, I either wanted to post a picture or I wanted to put an Instagram on my phone. And so two things happened. Number one, Beth and I were at dinner and we had a conversation about where where did most of our like deep spiritual development happen? And wow. the conversation that we had was, it was much more than just the one hour that happens on a Sunday morning. Like it was the, the those pivotal relationships that we had. Like we had one on one, or you yeah. know, we've got a, a group of couples where there's four couples, and we've been friends for over twenty years. I mean, we've you know, we've gone through loss of parents and, you know, one of the families, they lost a, you know, a baby at less than six months. Like you walk through, mm. you know, life moments with people. And so we were talking about those, but we talked about, there was something about Sunday night church, like coming together, having like not having a, a time limit on Sunday, you know, Sunday morning service extended time of worship, prayer, a, a, a deeper message, and then just having space at the altar to just do business with God. Um, and so that, that was the conversation that now fast forward to, we were, I'm flipping through Instagram. I see a picture from our VBS and you know, it's VBS. So it's all the fun activities and all the things they were doing, but Beth and I literally started crying on the deck of this, uh, the resort that we were staying at. It was an awesome picture of kids at the altar responding to God, you know, and it's kids. So you've got kids looking at the ceiling and doing (laughs) there are kids full on at the altar, pressing in and seeking. And right behind them are older adults, like 50 year olds, 60 year old adults. 
side by side with these kids doing ministry together. And we saw it. And this, this, the connection between multiple generations, multi-generational ministry, and this conversation about Sunday night. And we, we had the realization we're doing our kids, our teenagers, our college students, a disservice by not creating a space for them to learn how to linger in the presence of God. That, that, that really was the heartbeat. Good. How are we training up our kids to linger in the presence of God? Cause there's something that happens, something special that happens when you set aside focus time to do that. So, I mean, really for, for us, first Wednesday is all about being a people of the spirit led by the spirit and then really renewed by the spirit. And we knew that like, okay, Sunday night church, you know, back in the the mid nineties, you know, it was every single Wednesday night and just families and busyness and all of those things. That's just not a sustainable ministry pace. So what if, and so seeing these first Wednesdays, what if we did once a month, Wednesday night? So our, our kids, we don't do kids ministry actually for everybody age grades three and up we're all in service together. So Love that's it. what our youth, our youth group, it's not like an off night for youth group. That is youth group for that yep. night. Mm-hmm. It's not an off night for our kids ministry. That is kids ministry for that night. And we've had some really great conversations. Part of that, you know, part of the conversations we've had is, you know, what does it mean to be a people of the spirit, you know, being led by the spirit versus being led by the spirit of the world, kind of a compare yeah. and contrast. We've had conversations around, hey, we need we need to actually step up and do spiritual battle. How are we fighting for Generation Z? How are we fighting, you know, already in the trenches for Generation Alpha, our youngest kids in the room. Yeah. So I think it's been a game changer for our church. It's 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 creating a space outside of those regular rhythms for people to take that intentional step of pressing in and, and reteaching, relearning how to be in the presence of God. Yeah, Pastor Jim, I love that because it feels like we need to be reminded to go back to the basics. And if we don't mm-hmm. know the basics and we're expecting people to function at these higher levels of intimacy with the Lord or understanding the the prophetic or the the gifts of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit. Like if we don't create those space and opportunities, then we are doing somebody a disservice. And I think of it kind of when we were on staff at a church, um, they did something called J term. So the month of January, they would take those Wednesday nights, right. Mm -hmm. For four weeks. And they would hit on those main mainstream Mm. topics of whatever it is. And I feel like that's what you guys are doing in a different way by taking that first Wednesday of leaning into those things that you're unpacking with those third graders and all the way up to hundred, whatever it is. And just really create an opportunity for them to understand the goodness of God, the heart of worship, hearing the voice of God in the midst Mm -hmm. of a crazy, chaotic world and week. It causes us to slow down, causes us to catch our breath and hopefully recalibrate um, on so so many levels. Because when you create space for the Holy Spirit, you better get ready for him to move because he will when we slow down enough to even hear. And I'm just reminded, like, that's why we have two ears and one mouth. Like, that's just a joke. Like, oh, we have right. two ears because we should listen twice as much as we talk. Right. And um, Pastor Jim, I just love your heart because you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you have two young adults and of your own, that are your children. And they're um, going to school, one of them, and the other one's taking a gap year, um, asking all the adulting questions. Who do I right. want to be? Who am I? Who am I becoming? Where do I go? What mm-hmm. does this world have to offer me? And how do I live a life dedicated to the Lord in the midst of, you know, wild and crazy? And while life 
while we, when we feel like our life stops as individuals, when we're wrestling through those seasons, the world doesn't stop around us. Right. And it's like, we can't even catch our breath. So I would just be curious, pastor Jim, like as a, a lead pastor of a church, um, why, um, why do you believe in the next generation of young adults? Like, why is that vital? And and maybe you could even say that as a parent now, because we talk to many people that maybe don't understand the importance of young adult ministry because they don't have young adults yet. And they get a young adult in their house. They're like, oh my gosh, we need to create something for them when something should have been potentially in place the entire time. So talk about that young adults for us for a second. Yeah, I, you know, and I think about young adults, and it's it's it it's such a mindset shift when all of a sudden, oh, they're not my kids anymore. These are adults. That that all of a sudden has a, oh boy, I I wasn't prepared for that moment. Um, but for church ministry, one of the things that stands out for me: why do we believe in young adults? I don't think I've seen a more passionate driven um like there's just this there's this sense of self-motivation these these young adults they want to do something they want to accomplish and they not just succeed especially for young adults who are following jesus and want to you know walk out his ways and really make a difference change change their world one person at a time like they are so fired up about it and so for me, I get excited as a pastor. Like, you know, I I I said this to someone the other day. I, I realized for me in my life, the, the sunset is closer than the sunrise that's behind right. me. Like, wow. You know, it, and so if the church is going to continue, we know we have to empower, we have to equip, and we have to allow space for these driven kids. I think what happens is that we don't understand you know, I'm, 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 I'm a Gen Xer. And so I have this, this, you know, this Gen X angst, this, uh, you know, this, this deep rooted at sometimes dysfunctional cynicism that sometimes comes out, you know? Um, but when I see these, these young adults meeting college students, or I'm meeting young married couples, you know, I'm, you know, our church is really thriving right now in the, in the 18 to 35, like something is clicking for them when they're finding community, they're finding something here. Um, Now, you know, my role is not to be the primary person. Now my role is I'm trying to learn how to, how am I calling them up? How am I calling them into service? How am I calling them into their God-given talents and their God-given, you know, their spiritual giftings, not just their abilities that they've developed over time. And so, you know, leveraging their passions and pointing them in a direction like, okay, here's the mission. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's who you can really be in Jesus. And turning them loose and almost getting out of their way. It's, it's, it's a fascinating time. And I think that's where a lot of churches and a lot of pastors that I talk with, they have that tension of how are we, how are we doing that? How are we actually doing that? How are we actually equipping, serving? How are we leading well? So it's a, it's a really fascinating time, but it's amazing. Like the energy that young adults bring to a church family, it's, it's cyclical. Um, you know, the more and more young adults that it's, it's, uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, Jim Collins, good to great. He talked about the flywheel principle, a couple clicks on that flywheel and things start moving. Um, 
older generations, my generation and beyond, when they see an infusion of life and health and vitality that young adults bring, they want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then they add their energy. It's it's a really amazing thing. You know, I'm reminded of, mm-hmm. of course, the flywheel like you're talking about, but I'm just thinking of college football or, or the energy. You talk about that. Like, um, I just think that the wave always starts in the student section mm-hmm. that sometimes... Yeah. At a, a basketball or football game, young people don't even sit down. Like they literally mm-hmm. have this stamina, this incredible amount of energy. And when it is channeled mm-hmm. and focused right. towards God's glory, the eternal right. things that matter most. And I love the emphasis too, that your heart as a pastor beats intergenerationally. And you're already thinking about the cusp of the arrival of the alpha generation, mm-hmm. which is like our daughters or babies, mm-hmm. toddlers, infants right now. And I think that my question is always right now, like, what if the next Jesus revolution began with Generation Z? You know, there was like great mm-hmm. awakenings throughout American history and mm-hmm. even most recently, like kind of that hippie generation that was like the Jesus revolution and Greg Laurie talks about it. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, God used an unlikely generation before. And I'm excited about the possibilities. Mm, Like what if that next Jesus revolution came with Gen Z came with the alpha generation just for such a time as this. And I know that for some pastors, their next step is going to be to identify a leader and a launch a full blown young adult ministry, whatever that might mean, mm-hmm. small group or services mm-hmm. or gatherings or events. But I'm just thinking of like, for the pastor who's like, okay, I don't know if that's our step, but we've got to take a step. What are some yeah. ways that pastors, churches, boards, staff, teams can create discipleship on, on ramps or opportunities for the next generation of that 18 to 30 year old window that so often is overstudied and overlooked what what could some next steps be no that's a great question i think for for us it was an intentional decision to say this is their church too i think a lot of times what can happen and maybe maybe it's a result of you know youth group ministry seeing teenagers they they have their space they have their service it's kind of a, a separate thing for us as a church, we made a decision really, really early on. And it's, you know, it's a, it's part of it is a church growth dynamic class. So maybe just let me talk practically for a minute. You know, there's some natural, there's some natural growth points that can happen for a church. A room starts getting full. Um, you know, we're going to have our kids, the, you know, the younger kids, elementary age kids, they're just going to be in their own service the entire, the entire time. Well, now you've created, you know, in a church of our, our size, you know, our average Sunday morning attendance is 250, 275 people. So now you're sending out 40 kids. You've just created 40 seats for other people. We decided early on that actually we we want to be in the room with our kids. So we dismiss our kids after worship. It's actually a value for us that we worship, that we worship together. Yeah. But something happens with youth group aged kids, the high school aged kids. They kind of have their church and it's separate. So I think that especially college, college kids can get lost in this in-between space. It's kind of a land between. They're between two different worlds trying to figure out who they are. So if a church can make the the intentional decision, it's their church too. I actually say that all of the time when I'm talking about, you know, when I'm calling people into, you know, not just serving, um, 
not just serving, but um, calling it, stepping into their calling, stepping into their their ministry, stepping into their purpose. Um, it's their church too. Like we need to be there for mm-hmm. these these kids. So it's it's a really fascinating fascinating thing. So realize that they're the church right now. They're not a church someday. They're the church right. right now and they're part of our mission field um you know i think a huge thing especially for for those who would be called into um you know some kind of ministry role whether it's a leadership role maybe we're talking about a college age a student who's a a pastor you know someone who's you know an up-and-coming pastor regardless i think one of the things that we can provide as churches is a place for them to fail and wow. one of the things i what i mean by that is you know if we expect kids to come out and succeed right off the bat then we we're, we're already coming from this at a, at a wrong angle they need opportunities to fail because they have to learn and so I, you know i remember going back to you know my early college days one of the first things first opportunities i had when i my first preaching opportunity. It was a Sunday night service. So it'd be like if I was preaching at a first Wednesday here at, at Real Life Now. Um, I made a really off-color joke right at the very beginning of my message. And it it went over like a lead balloon. And it took me about a half an hour to get everybody back. Um, Pastor pulled me aside afterwards and said, Jim, your message was great. It was one of the best messages on what I, I preached actually the, you know, when Moses comes down from the mountain and there's Aaron and the, the golden calf idol right there. Um, he said, but you never got anybody to that response moment because mm-hmm. you lost everybody at the the off-colored joke. And he did it in a way that was really affirming. Like he he complimented, he built up, the content was really good. And then he brought the correction. And I think we need to create opportunities for people um, to have a, a safe environment yeah. to right. fail. Right. You know, it's, it's a big deal. We're not going to learn from success. We only learn when we make mistakes or when we fail. And so sometimes there can be this tension of you got to get it right. If you don't get it right, I can't have you serve. Um, uh, you know, Andy Stanley's got a leadership paradigm. You know, if somebody can do something 80% as good as you, wow, you know, train them the other 20%. Craig Rochelle, it goes crazy farther. He says, if someone can do something half as well as you, train them up the other 50%. And so there's this tension of allowing trust. Like we have to give trust away and allow people to fail and build them up. So I think there's that, right. you know, I think a big one, especially with, with social media and the, the projected personas that everybody is trying to, you know, put out there, they're, they're, they're ultra curating what people see. Um, if we can be leaders who lead in authenticity and, you know, that, you know, we don't put on a persona. We don't put on a mask. If we can let let young adults in and see, you know, yeah, here's here's some of the things that I, you know, maybe because we're not building, you know, we're not super close. We're not going deep into struggles and those kinds of things. But just leading it, yeah, I I wrestle with some of those same things. Um, I think authenticity and trust is a huge thing. And I think, you know, it, it can easily get lost. I, I was reminded of this when we were talking uh, a while back that we have to make room for the next generation. I think there's, we, we can easily forget that we're standing on the shoulders of those that went before us. Mm-hmm. And this next generation, they need to stand 
on our shoulders for the church to continue, you know, um, pastor friend down in Arkansas, Rod Loy, there's a sign in his church building and say, you know, may future generations uh, say we stewarded this well, like we're temporary stewards of the church, of the organization, of the mission. And so if we can, if we can be comfortable and confident in our calling, then we can raise up other leaders and what a, what a joy it'll be someday when we have somebody who's standing on our shoulders, taking the church or taking a mission or taking a ministry farther than we could have taken. Right. So I think those are some practical things right off the, right, right off the get go that, you know, that, that pastors and leaders can adopt. I agree. And I love it so much. And we've talked about some things like Sunday night service and we've talked about first mm-hmm. Wednesdays. And I think that part of the dynamic at play across our culture is, is -hmm. just this idea of like the attractional model. And Mm -hmm. I know this is off script, but my brain starts wondering of like, with the removal Mm -hmm. of some of the deeper moments or some of those places, like, so I'm thinking of the development of young adults, the development of young leaders, leadership pipeline, those types of concepts. Do you think the arrival of the attractional model has maybe at times without the intention just like accidentally taken away some leadership development opportunities for the next generation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would agree with that statement and I, I'll, I'll agree in two different ways. Number one. So part of the story here at real life is, you know, we were our church, we changed our church name. It was Roseville assembly of God. We're at, we're an almost 70 year old church now. And we changed our name from Roseville assembly of God to real life church in 2002. And part of that was the influence and impact of the seeker sensitive attractional model uh, from Willow Creek church. And actually, if you come to our facility, the, the auditorium space that we meet in is a, is a, a micro version of a macro room of yeah. Willow Creek church. And one of the things that we did when we made that shift was okay if we're if we're going a tractional model if we're trying to be you know ultra relevant and creative and all these different things with our sunday morning experience um you know as, especially as a Pentecostal church, you know, there's some distinctives that we have with the gifts of the spirit that sometimes are uncomfortable for people who are far from God or they're seeking. And so, you know, conversations were happening about how, how are we, you know, creating a space that is, um, the bottom line is we never created a space where the gifts of the spirit were active, but there was always the intention. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to do Sunday night church or Wednesday night church where we're going to practice. We're going to work, you know, work on the gifts of the spirit as a church body. Um, We never did that. And so the unintentional consequence of that was, okay, Holy spirit, we know what we're doing on Sunday mornings, but you can go and have a seat. And so there was a, there was a tension with that. And I think part of that attractional ministry is you have to perform at a certain level. There has to be a certain polish. There has to be a certain level of, you know, production value, for lack of a better phrase, where, okay, as an 18-year-old kid, when I came back to church after wandering in high school, my first ministry role was I was the overhead slide guy. So, you know, I'm sliding the transparency up and down for the for the worship team. And, you know, I couldn't sing. Um, 
but I was given a space to start practicing and growing. That's part of our heartbeat behind First Wednesday. So our last First Wednesdays, you know, I get out the get out the Bible to start reading scripture, and I just off the cuff, I'm like, no, I actually need to have a couple of our kids come up. So there was a sixth grader and a fifth grader that came up, and they okay. read scripture for the church. Um, we're gonna use this space for, for you know First Wednesdays for youth group kids who are developing their musical abilities so maybe you know them them being on stage or on platform on a sunday morning that might be too pressure filled but a sunday night where it's definitely much more relaxed it's a family environment um maybe that's an environment where adults can partner with teenagers or young adults college students and start practicing and growing and and giving away those opportunities I actually had uh we had a, a summer intern and it's not very often on a sunday morning where um i make space for college students to, to preach i you know it's, it's part of that hour on sunday i don't get often you know i only get 35 to 40 hours a week communicating with people on church but i you know, stepped aside to make room for this intern to share a message. And it was a home run. He came at it from a different angle than I would have. And it was absolutely spot mm -hmm. on. And I'm so glad I did that. And now that college student is taking that experience. And now he's dissatisfied in his college because he knows he has a ministry calling. And so he's looking at transferring. So if I had I not stepped out of the way, did I wow. unintentionally put a roadblock in front of wow. that college student to step into their their calling and their purpose. So yes, I do. I the long answer. Yes. I think that attractional model with wanting to have a certain kind of production value can be an unintentional limiting factor in how we're growing mm -hmm. and developing younger people. Yeah. It's such a good way to say it or to come at it. Mine was unpolished because it was just off the cup. My, my mind started thinking about this because here is this generation that's like put me in coach like i'm just i want a piece of the pie i want a piece of the action i'm ready to play i'm cause driven and here the church is so cause driven as well and, and we need to connect the two and the i get it the the nature of young adults there's this transitory nature and um i know that there's production value and excellence and all of those things but i'm just asking the listener to think about like where are we creating space it might not be Sunday mornings, it might not be weekend gatherings, but where is the space and where are we making room for the next generation to belong, yeah. to grow, to develop and discipleship's a part of that, but ministry mm -hmm. opportunities and outlets are a part of that too. Yeah. And I think one important thing that um, Pastor Jim already kind of hit on is we're standing on the shoulders of somebody else who's gone before us. And we may not know the sacrifices that were placed, the prayers that were prayed, the pioneering that took place. And all those different things you kind of have to begin mm -hmm. to think about as a leader. As you get older, these are more wise thoughts, I hope. But then the next question is, who are you putting on your shoulders who can go further, faster, and see farther than you ever could? And I just think that is such a burden of mine and Josiah's of who do we believe in? And we don't want to make decisions for people um, when it comes to like, who's worthy and who's not worthy. It's we're all called, but who's actively seeking it out and who can we spur on in those seasons when we can come around or alongside them or create spaces for them. And pastor Jim, I'd be curious to just kind of lean into this one. We talked to a lot of gen Xers, I would say specifically who have a hard time, maybe always connecting the dots with the generations. Um, 
they understand the generations that have gone before, but maybe once we hit the millennials, it just gets a little murky the further on it goes down. So for the lead pastor, whether they're a Gen Xer or not, how would you encourage them to set their fears aside when it comes to the potential siloing of a young adult ministry? Because many of them say, well, I would start a young mm-hmm. adult ministry, but they're just going to silo themselves and start running rogue, essentially. And But how do you, as a pastor and as a leader, what insight do you have for somebody who's kind of on that line of like, I see it, but I don't know if I believe it yet. And what? how can you speak to that fear of starting a young adult ministry, essentially, and not be siloed as young adults? That's a great question, Micah. I think, you know, for me, it, any any ministry, so whether it's young adult ministry or creative arts, worship team, men, women, teenagers, kids, benevolence, whatever whatever ministry it might be, the the starting point is is not necessarily even, you know, what's the what's the result we're looking for. I think for me, one of the starting points is as pastors we know our role isn't to do the work of the ministry. It's to call up other people yeah. to train, to build and equip. And so by by definition, the body of Christ made up of many different parts, one person can't do all of those things. And so I, you know, for for lead pastors, I think there has to be some point a a confidence, a comfortability um of allowing other people to win. Um, I had a, I had someone come to me after, I think it was even the, after almost one year, I think I was in the, 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 the chair of lead pastor for a year. It was a Christmas and we had a guest speaker come in for a women's event. And she was asking, you know, what's your, what, what's your favorite thing about being a lead pastor? Is it the, you know, is it the parking space? Is it the, you know, preaching every week? You know, what, you know, what might it be? And, you know, part of it was funny, but part of it, she was actually asking, like, what what's your favorite thing? And I I always have two answers to that. Number one, as, as a pastor, we get invited into the highs and lows of life. Like, we get to do weddings and baby dedications, and, you know, people want to share their news with us. But then as pastors, we get invited into like the most tender of moments. Mm. You know, we get invited. We're the ones that get invited to pray at hospitals. We get invited right. to do funeral ministry. Um, so we we hold this really special place in, in people's lives um, as leaders of, of other pastors, leaders of, of young adults, of, of older adults we get to equip, like we get to get out of the way. So I actually, the other answer I have for that question is I love setting up other people to win. I, I don't, you know, if, if I'm the ceiling, if I'm the cap, if, if I'm as good as the organization is ever going to get, well, we've already hit our potential. We're, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to thrive any further than where I'm thriving. We're not going to reach anybody that I'm not reaching. So I look for people. I look for young adults. I look for college students. I look for people in our church that are equipped, that are in process, that are called to do things who are better than me. Mm-hmm. I built my team around people who are like, I, I'm, I, I was a, I was a, uh, a, a youth pastor for like a year and a half and I was a terrible youth pastor. I did not do a good job of it. Um, I don't know what it was. I, I I was only 20, 21 at the time. Like I sh- it should have worked. It didn't. Um, but the youth pastor that we brought in 
is an amazing youth pastor. She is so mm-hmm. much better mm-hmm. than me that I could ever could be in reaching teenagers. So my my role is to equip and to train and then to get out of their way. Mm-hmm. Like my role is to point at the mission and then get out of the way. Our connections pastor, our worship pastor, uh, our kids pastor, our teaching and care pastor, who's a boomer. He's, he just turned 74. Um, you know, how am I equipping that and then getting out of their way? So there has to be a confidence. There has to be a Love level it. of comfort in allowing other people to do what they're called to do. Because as lead pastors, we're not called to do any to do all of the things. But the silo piece of that is really interesting. I think you have to reach in and find ways to involve. I think wow. uh, it, whether it's a, a it's a, if it's a lay a lay leader, you know, just a, someone from the church who's leading a, a young adult ministry or a, a pastor who says, you know, this is kind of an unreached, it's almost like it's an unreached people group for some churches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be an intentionality behind that. And so there's some subtle ways that you can help break down those silos. Uh, when I'm preaching on Sundays, when I'm trying to like think through examples of like, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, when you go to work tomorrow, well, that's only reaching a certain number of people in the room with whatever example it might be. So I'm always trying to think through like, how can I come up with a four or five different lines like that to help kind of tear that silo down and bring everybody into the moment. So, you know, whether you're at work tomorrow or you head back to class or, you know, you're, you're with your kids when, you know, whatever that might be, I I try to find language like that um, to to just to pull everybody in together. So there's, I think the, the comfort, the confidence, um, this is their church too, like adopting some language where you're intentionally, you're just not going to allow a silo mentality to happen. And as a pastor, how, how great is it to have a a thriving subculture in your church? Cause what's going to happen And Josiah, I really appreciated what you said about, younger generations kind of being the start of a renewal. We actually kind of hold that dear at our church. Like, Lord, we want this to start with our kids. We had a Sunday morning where all of a sudden there was a spontaneous uh, altar response. It was elementary age kids that were like coming down. And then here come their parents right behind them to pray together. And then all of a sudden here comes some college students. Like, it's all there. It's all happening. And so now my role is, okay, how do I just shepherd this moment and keep this moving and building off this natural thing that God is already doing. So I think it's a really important decision to say, this is, this is their church and how am I serving them? Not, not just how am I, you know, controlling that or making sure this is going the way that I want it. It's so good. Jim is so good. And, um, one of the things that spoke to me most, and I've heard both of these quotes, I've heard Andy Stanley say that of like, Hey, if some, if you can find somebody who's 80% of the way, as good as you are, just hand it off. And I've heard Craig say that too. Mm-hmm. If somebody can do it, it's half as good as you offboard the thing, empower, give away. And what I'm realizing in this moment is there's some great strengths that I have in leadership in ministry. And I'm passionate about starting new projects, launching initiatives, very entrepreneurially wired that way, very driven and motivated. And I can execute and team build and cast vision. But I think my personal takeaway from this conversation, I think it's easy when somebody's better than I am of just go, go, go like slam dunk. But when somebody's not as seasoned or mature, I'm already realizing 
that I think that's an area for growth for me mm-hmm. of how am I cultivating opportunities in our ministry and leadership where somebody can develop and it's okay, like you said, for them to fail or for them to grow or develop a new muscle. Like, is my expectation too much polish or production or performance versus mm-hmm. looking at it as a true opportunity to invest in somebody mm-hmm. to grow? But that's really speaking to me today, like off mm-hmm. the charts of just mm-hmm. some some awareness that's come about or some conviction of like, whoa, I can think of a couple areas where I'm like, I might be robbing some people of an opportunity or a blessing or just ministry by holding on to too many. And then I'm the same person complaining, like there's too much on my plate. (laughs) There's the problem. (laughs) Right. I think there's a really fascinating dynamic that happens. And I forget who, who wrote this. It's either the title of the book or it's a, a chapter or heading, but you know, people get promoted to the level of their incompetence, right? Like they get to a certain spot where they get promoted or they get elevated and all, all of a sudden they're they're not as high of a performer as they were because now they're outside of their comfort zone. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's different in a church than something like that. But as we're seeing giftings and as we're seeing the uh, you know calling, as we're seeing spiritual giftedness, you know, there's something mystical if i can use that word mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. supernatural piece of this of you know i'm not a, i'm not a musician um by training i didn't i didn't i've never taken any voice lessons or piano lessons or anything i played you know middle school band i played clarinet that's my i, I couldn't read a piece of sheet music to save my life um, how $980 million or whatever the Powerball is, play it, read a piece of music. I, I'm out. I can't do it. <laughs> but I was a worship leader for 20 years. Mm. Like, and it was a supernatural gifting um, where I could lead a team, where I could help create a moment where people were experienced in the presence of God. And actually shortly before I was asked to serve as lead pastor, I could feel that calling change. I could, I, I actually verbalized to somebody once, like, I feel like my time as a musical worship leader was coming to an end. And it was part of preparing for, for this season that I'm in. And so actually it was one month, it was August of 2016. I started as lead pastor in January of 2017. I took that entire month to train up the other worship leaders that were on our team. Like I needed to be ready to step away and not do this anymore. And so, you know, volunteers, and it was all like the details. How are you scheduling volunteers? How are you creating worship sets? What are you looking for? How are you helping lead a band? It was taking some of those really practical things that always just live up here and getting them out and then seeing those things. Like, I see this in you. Right. You can do this. You have the ability to lead people. See how people follow you. See how people are drawn to you. So as we can call those things out in other people, um, 
there was someone who was serving in our church a while back and they were super passionate about kids. And yet they always had this look on their face of never being happy. And they were almost unapproachable. I'm like, you know, you say you love kids all the time. Let your, you know, let your face show it. And they changed this and the kids are just always around them. Kids are swarming them with just one little thing. So I think as pastors, if we can see those things and we can call those things out in people as we can, you know, help elevate and lift up, especially college students, you know, I see this in you. Like, I see this in you. You can do this. You're meant to do this. You're made to do this. I think that that'll spark something in them. I think it's already there. Yeah. I think most of the times when we say those things, it should be like a confirming word. We're not pulling exactly. something out from left field for people. Right. I think God would be already working in people. So what we're speaking with the, the life that we're speaking over them, it's confirming. Like, yeah. Yes. Okay. Somebody else sees what I'm feeling. I, I think that would be okay. really encouraging. That's so good. We were just talking to a friend yesterday and he was talking about the exact same thing. When God's calling you to do something, the calling's being pulled out of you. Something happens inward first, like the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You feel something stirring. You feel your, you know, your, your spiritual gifts being um, utilized or God's asking you to use them differently. And then there's an outside confirmation. So there's an internal and then there's the external. And we as leaders hopefully are speaking life and truth um, and just calling out greatness in everybody. And one of our friends, Trey, he says, growth, growth, happen can't happen outside of our comfort zone or in our comfort zone right so growth happens outside of our comfort zone and i think to be leaders that are being willing to stretch and to admit that we don't have it all together we don't have and know all of the answers but we yeah. do serve a god that we can um you know go to him with all these different things when it comes to leading when it comes to prayer and i've realized that when god moves in our lives or calls us to the next, I don't want to say level, because that's not even the right term. When you feel the next season coming that seems larger than you, it causes me personally to tap into God even more so than I was in the last season or that transition in between. But in reality, I should be always drawing from him and praying to him just as intensely, as intentionally throughout my whole entire life, right? So I think when we realize the, when we cap out on our own potential, we have to tap into the supernatural. And that's when God starts showing more and more like, Micah, if you just get out of the way, I would love to show you what I can do. Right. (laughs) So I just think that we have the power as leaders and the ability and the calling of leaders is to speak life and create opportunities um, and to ask people to grow, ask people to step up and hoist people up on our shoulders and not settle for anything less when it comes to to come to those things. We can't say yes for people. We can't say no for people, but Um, they're just going to have to discover that on their own. And if we can be a voice of the external experience through word of God or giving them an opportunity, I think that's just an awesome, awesome thing to do and be, be called to do as a leader. And um, Pastor Jim, we've come to our favorite part of the episode. Everything's good so far, but we really like to lean into this because this is like the intense five and five. So we have five questions, five minutes on the clock. Are you ready for the challenge? Let's do it. I'm up for it. All right, Pastor Jim, question number one, what is something you're into right now as a hobby, like outside of ministry? What do you like to do for fun? Is there such a thing as life outside of ministry? Well, um, yeah, you can't lose yourself. <laughs> our, you know, we we do, we love to travel. And so it, it, this has been a very busy ministry year, so we haven't traveled as much. Um, but we, my wife and I, our happy place, any place where there's sand and water, 
Um, we try to get away and take in some, you know, some vitamin D from that big old ball in the sky. Um, and actually I, I'm, I'm reading a lot more. That was something that, that kind of got rekindled during my sabbaticals. How am I feeling all of this time? And so, you know, I, I'm reading constantly. I'm, you know, not just ministry books, but I'm back to reading. I'm reading a lot of biographies right now. So I'm, you know, reading a biography on, you know, Mel Brooks, the, com you know, the comedian. I'm reading wow. a biography on John Adams. Like I'm in the middle of a few different biographies. So that's been taking up a lot of hobby time lately. That's okay. so fun. I'm drawn to biographies too. I mean, here's these remarkable life stories mm -hmm. and yep. so much can be learned through history, but documentation of people's lives. And right. we know you're an avid baseball fan. So will you share your favorite sports team? Well, my happy place is that building right here. This is Dodger Stadium for the, the listeners. You can't see me pointing at my, my picture of Dodger Stadium on the wall. I am a Dodgers fan. Los Angeles Dodgers is my favorite, favorite team. 1988, Kirk Gibson's home run sealed the deal. A lifelong Dodgers fan because of one moment. So, yeah, LA Dodgers all the way. That's amazing. So cool. Okay, right. question 2.5. Who are you rooting for in the World Series currently? See, I just I just want this to be a good series. These have been great games. Um, I'm not a fan of the Astros because of what they did to the Dodgers with the cheating scandal, but I love Dusty Baker. Dusty, ba I want Dusty Baker to win a World Series, but I am cheering for the Phillies. Same. Five home runs in one inning. That was huge. It's electric. Okay, question 2.75. Oh, um, man, he's cheating. Our, Let's go. Uh, what, what do you think of the Vikings this year? They are the luckiest team I have seen in a really long time. I am thrilled that they're six and one. I'm thrilled with the trade that they just pulled off yesterday for that tight end. But they are getting so lucky. So I hope it continues. Let their let their luck continue. Skull. I think they want their um, fans to know that they are the nail biting experiences within the last two minutes of every game. That's where I'm like, you know, I. Ugh. I saw a statistic yesterday. It blew my mind. Kirk Cousins has, a, I think it was 37 game streak of throwing a touchdown pass. And there's no other quarterback that is above 17 games wow. consecutive. So it, wow. it's kind of crazy. So we'll see. There's a lot of football yet to be played. That's true. We'll see. Well, here's a curveball. Speaking of baseball earlier, if you could ask Josiah and myself one question, what would you ask us today? Anything under the sun? Anything under the sun. More above. What's what? What's your dream for this for for young adults today? Like at the end when the when the sun sets on this mm. season in ministry, like what do you want your legacy? You you, you get remembered for mm. what you did at Young Adults today. What do you want that to be? Mm. You want to go first. Sure. I mean, Pastor Jim, what got me moving into ministry specifically was the call of God, and then He gave me a vision of. It, it appeared to be at least 10,000 young adults on their knees, lifting their hands in worship, surrendering their lives to Christ. And so that dream, that vision. And I think the other thing of, mm -hmm. I would love to see the biblical worldview statistic reversed where 96% of Gen Z is lacking the biblical worldview. I would love to help support mm -hmm. um, and, and just, point people to the word of God. And I think if there was another thing, it would just be mm -hmm. helping young adults find their place wow. in the local church. And so helping 
this overlooked, overstudied, underserved generation, right. um, just be championed, be included. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that'd be it for me. Yeah. I think what led us to the decision of becoming a 501c3 nonprofit for young adults today was just the realization of the question that was asked, what is our biggest kingdom contribution? Mm. Is this, is where we were prior to this, all that we have to offer God? And if so, what does it look like? If not, what does that look like? And so I guess my biggest prayer for the next generation and what I want to be said, not only, not of us, but it's like, I want to see people in heaven radically changed for the love of Jesus. So I want people yeah, to know when good. they get to heaven, who is Jesus? Not what did I know about him on earth? And I got my get out of jail, I get out of hell free card. No, I want to know the heart of Christ. So my, like going back to the word of God. So I wrote these down, the heart of Christ. I want to see their purpose. I want them to be equipped um, to understand the ways of the world versus in the heavenly, heavenly realms. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I discern the voice of God? What is of the enemy? What's my own thought? Helping them um, pray for three things that I pray for myself and the generation. I pray for wisdom. I pray for knowledge and I pray for discernment. And with all those things comes a natural hunger and a longing for the heart of Christ and um, on top of that, I work with so many young adults and I think this is out of my own brokenness. I think this was where God stirred my heart for young adult ministry is there's no place for young adults to do life with each other that are outside of the bar or the club. At least when I was in my setting in my early twenties, that's what my experience was, um, was not plugged into a church right away, believed in God, but didn't have it. And coming out of that is I want to see good and godly marriages built and centered on Christ to succeed um, to, so they can go further, farther, faster um, together and not have the confusion along the way of, did I make the right choice or did I settle along the way, but help them sift through all the, the chaos and let it be said of us that we did what we we're called to do and maybe multiplied and fruitful beyond our years and, essentially outlive us, I guess. <laughs> I love it. So, love it. Long answer, but <laughs> speaking a lot of life right there. Let it be so. Wow. So back to you. You mentioned you like to travel. If you could go one place next, where would you go? That you haven't been. That we haven't been. Okay. So it's yeah. a it's a bucket list. Have you seen so it's Fiji. Have you seen those like bungalows that are built oh, yeah. out right over the water oh yes yeah. that's that is the that's the dream vacation where you just you're right there out on the water um we've priced those out and we're gonna need some uh subsidies in order to make that happen <laughs> um, that is not a cheap vacation but that's on the list like that's a, a huge bucket list thing for us is getting out to, to a place like fiji or something like that for that, wow, that kind I love of it. we can't agree more for the sunshine and sand that's what we're drawn to as well but here's the fifth and final question pastor jim if you can leave the listener with one word of encouragement today what would you leave them with oh man number one you're amazing and you are called you are being developed you have a purpose for life um to to build up and change the world to be a part of the kingdom of god to be a part of the body of christ to serve um to discover what your god-given talents and spiritual giftings are there's no one like you in the body right. of christ in the body of christ needs you whether you're 18 years old you're 35 years old 75 years or beyond like there's no one else like you so you're specifically called to that 
especially for that 18, 18 year old or, or somewhere in that young adult range, um, resist the temptation to shortcut the development process. Mm. We have we have that we have that tendency to want to put on a mask, and I think what happens when we do that, when we project a persona of what we think we want other people, we wind up just performing, and people aren't seeing the authentic us. So I think in a, it, what we're trying to do is we're trying to draw people in with this projected image, but we're actually pushing people farther away. There's something profoundly supernatural about the discipleship and development process. And so don't try to shortcut to get to success. Don't shortcut to get to an arrival place. Love You got to learn to love the discipleship journey. And then the last thing I'd say is you need to find, I, I'm, I'm all for having a group of peers who are speaking into your life, but you need a mentor. You need someone who is ahead of you in the journey to call things out in you, who has experienced life and like build that David and Jonathan kind of relationship with someone in your peer group, but find someone who's ahead of you in the journey to help develop and hone you. And it's a humble ask. Like, will you be my mentor? It's a big ask. Um, but be brave. There's someone out there who wants to mentor you and wants to walk side by side with you. So good. So good. It's incredible. I love that encouragement personally. And for this community of the young adults today podcast and Pastor Jim, what makes me happy right now is we got to hang out with you and people got to hear your heartbeat for the local church, the DNA, um, your belief and passion in the next generation and just your encouragement. So thanks so much. Love it. Thanks for having me. What an honor. I love you guys. Love that we get to spend time together like this. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in, I'm all wired up right now. Plug me in, I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.